We are in week seven of our series entitled Living Abundantly. We've been talking about what the abundant life that Jesus promises those who follow him looks like. And there are a lot of people in our society today, and particularly in American culture, that they'll say that abundant life means that you're going to have have all kinds, all the, the material goods you need and all these different things. And, 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 and yes, the Lord does provide those things, but I believe that even the poorest Christian in the most uh, persecuted country in the world can still live an abundant life, even if they don't have a lot of the goods of this world. Because I believe that the abundant life in Christ consists of things that he does inside of us more than anything else. And, and I believe that the characteristics of the abundant life are what we know as the fruit of the Spirit, as found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. So I want to read to you uh, that, that passage. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. And so today we're talking about meekness, or as some translations, they, just, they call it gentleness. Uh, and, and we're also going to be talking about self-control. Now, and if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Numbers chapter 12. We're going to read from there. We're going to begin reading in verse 1 of Numbers chapter 12. It says this, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. By the way, Cushite in the, in the ESV, that's also, it's a, it's a region that we would know as Ethiopia. So just so you know where we're talking about. Verse 2, And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. That's a scary word right there. Anytime you start talking bad about somebody behind their back, you need to remember the last uh, few words of verse 2 there. It says, And the Lord heard it. They thought, they thought that, that, they, that they were only talking to each other and conspiring by, between themselves, but it says, And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And, all, and the three of them came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. And he said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. When the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. And Aaron turned toward Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, O oh my Lord, do not punish us, because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Let her not be as one dead, whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried to the Lord, O oh God, please heal her, please. But the Lord said to Moses, if her, if her father had but spit in her face, should she not be shamed seven days? Let her sh be shut outside the camp seven days, and after that she may be brought in again. So Miriam was shut outside the camp seven days, and the people did not set out on the march until Miriam was brought in again. After that, the people set out from Hazaroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. Let's pray together. Father, we just come to you. And we, uh, Lord, we just right now, Lord, we're asking for a fresh word from you deep within our innermost being, Lord God, that, that we would hear your voice and that when we leave here today, we would say, the Lord has spoken to me today. I believe you for this, God, and I thank you that for all of that in, in humility and just praising you, God, that you can overcome every weakness and that we can hear you speaking clearly to our inner man today. And we pray all of this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. In 1945, Braun Clifford was the up-and-coming, I mean the up-and-coming evangelist of World War II-era America. He, he was introduced at one time to the student body at Baylor University by then-President Pat Neff. He was introduced as the greatest preacher in America in 1945. His fame as a minister and for his command of the English language spread so far and so wide that he was even invited by Hollywood to come and audition 
for the role of Marcellus in the production of the movie The, Ro the Robe. I don't know how many of you remember the old movie The Robe. He was invited to audition. That Only a few years later, though, Bron Clifford was dying of cirrhosis of the liver in a cheap Amarillo, Texas hotel room, a completely lost and shattered and broken shell of a man. How many times have we seen great people, both of the world and of the kingdom, brought to despair and to ruin because they were unable to bring some appetite of the flesh, some desire, some longing, some passion, some pride in before the cross and experience the crucifixion principle and allow God to put that to death? How many times have uh, we've, uh, we've seen talents corrupted and lives ruined simply because of a fundamental lack of self-control. You know, when we talk about meekness, too often we, we see meekness as being weakness because there's a rhyme there to it, but, but uh, we think of it as being the sort of the, the, little, the milk toast little guy that just gets plowed over by the whole world. And then we see self-control as being the imposition of discipline on our life from the outside, you know, walls and parameters that limit my life. But Jesus said that, these are the keys uh, to the abundant life. And J Jesus said, I've come to you that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I've not come to limit your life, but to expand it. I've not come to make your life smaller, but I've come to magnify life. Edgar Allan Poe was a man of deep, deep sensitivity and magnificent command of the English language. But he ended up lying face down and drunk in the gutters of Baltimore, Maryland until he died of exposure. Percy Bysshe Shelley's life was a monument to perversion and wickedness, but he could, he could write the most beautiful poetry imaginable. Lord Byron was a man whose poor self-image and corrupt sex sexual practices destroyed him, but whose sensitivity in poetry and in prose is celebrated in, on university campuses around the world even today. And we have a tendency to think of these great men, these, these, these celebrated people, and we say to ourselves, well, there's just something in those kinds of personalities that leads to that kind of lifestyle. But listen, nothing could be further from the truth. It's my profound conviction, and I believe it's the teaching of Scripture that those lives never even began to experience the fullness of the blessing that they might have had. I mean, think of this. If, if Poe had, had not been racked by alcoholism and drug abuse, what might he have written? If Percy Bysshe Shelley had not been destroyed by his own appetites, what might he have written? What glories to God might he have written? What passages of praise for God might he have written if he had only been filled with the Holy Spirit instead of destroyed by his own passions? What about the Lord Byron? Lord Byron, I mean, how he might have been used by God to magnify his praises. We might be singing hymns today, the words to which were written by Lord Byron, if he had known Jesus. If, only, if he had only learned self-control and meekness. And I've seen this in lives that are very close to me. I've seen people who were marvelously talented, who, who never learned the, the lesson of, learned the discipline and, 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 and order of life and their great gifts. And all of their great gifts lie squandered on the frozen landscape of a life that never, never brought forth its bloom. What lives and talents and gifts and graces even in this auditorium today, that, that 15 years from now will be squandered because we failed in self-control and meekness. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 9, So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself might be, should be disqualified. Paul said, God forbid, that I, having taught and ministered and preached and won the lost and cast out demons, would then be disqualified when I come to the end of the race because I failed to bring my body into subjection to the mind of Christ, which is for decency and modesty. I'm telling you, I believe this with, with the, that these great fruit, meekness and self-control, are the keys to expanding our gifts, expanding our ministries, and expanding our lives. Young people, listen to me carefully. Young people, need, young people tend to believe that discipline and limitation 
and control will hinder their lives. They say, oh, oh, what I could be if my parents would just get off my back. Or, oh, what I could be if only I could just do my own thing my own way. But listen to me. Here's the reality. Life without limits always hinders creativity and productivity. Discipline is the key to creativity, not a hindrance. Learn self-control and learn the full use of your gifts for the good of mankind and the glory of God. A simple illustration of that is somebody who plays the piano. If they're undisciplined, they will never see the depth of their talent. They'll never be able to find how great they could be because they were never disciplined enough to practice and to work on it. And it's the discipline that brings the freedom in the gifts. Fail at the point of self-discipline, self-control, and meekness, and you'll find a wasted hulk at the end of your life. The, the story of men like Braun Clifford in 1945, it just terrifies me. Still, we see man after man after man who's, who, who rise to the peak of spiritual prominence and religious leadership in the nation who fail because of a lack of self-control and meekness. Everybody in this room, when I said that statement, you can think of of, of Christian pastors, Christian leaders, national Christian leaders who failed morally and brought a stain upon the, the name of Jesus Christ. And, and, and it's these stories that keep me on my face before God because I believe that these principles and concepts of abundant living cannot be broken. If you break them, you will suffer. But if you live by them, you will know the blessings of God. So we need to start today by defining what we're talking about especially when it comes to, to meekness. I think we understand self-control, but meekness, what is meekness? Well, first of all, we, we mentioned this before, but we need to be clear. Meekness is not weakness. It's not weakness. Meekness is power under control. Now, I know, I know you've heard that definition before, and it's the same thing for gentleness. Mental, meekness and gentleness, gentleness are power under control. I think you can understand it when you think of the word gentleness or meekness. Think of a, of, a, of a bodybuilder holding a tiny baby kitten. He can be very gentle with that kitten, but that doesn't mean that he's weak. In fact, he has the power to crush the life out of that, that, that small cat, but he chooses not to. That is gentleness. That's what meekness is all about. It, it, because of that, it is necessarily linked to self-control. And, and we see this really wonderfully in Jesus. We, we see a beautiful picture of meekness and self-control in Jesus who, who prayed from the cross, <clears throat> Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, who stood before Pilate and opened not his mouth before his accusers. We, we think of meekness as a little milk toast kind of guy who's just destroyed by the world, who has no power, no strength, no ability, but, but nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, I want to say this to you. You cannot truly manifest the virtue of meekness or gentleness until you are in a position of power. You have no, you have, if you have no power to hurt someone, you can't act in meekness toward that person. You can't act in gentleness if you don't have any power to, 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 to hurt them. When you're in a position of power, then you can manifest the virtue of meekness. And, and here's Jesus, a great example of this, before his accusers. They're accusing him of being a heretic and a liar. They're accusing him of threatening to destroy the temple. They're, they're about to destroy the temple of his body. I mean, they're about, and he knows all this. They're about to beat him and torture him and crucify him and hang him on a cross until he dies. But Jesus, knowing all those things, just stands there. He just stands there. He doesn't say a word. And yet when you, when you read through the kangaroo, kangaroo court trial of Jesus on the last evening of his life, one has the complete sense that Jesus is actually utterly in control in that situation. That, that these other people are just playing out their pitiful little drama around his feet. And then Jesus stands like a colossus of the ages. His, his hands are bound because he allows them to be bound. A crown of thorns is pressed into his forehead because he holds his head ready to receive it, meek and lonely. But, but we know, don't we? We, we know that, that, that he, that he can do something different. We know that any moment in the whole proceeding, even from the cross itself, Jesus could have snapped his fingers and summoned 10 legions of angels. We, we know that Jesus could have been hanging there. Just He could have just 
blown the nails right out of his hands and Jesus could have destroyed all the military might of Rome in just a split second. And Jesus could have taken all the members of the Sanhedrin who were crucifying him and hurled them into outer darkness. And he could have looked at them and said, there, now you know my strength. But Jesus proved his strength by being crucified through his strength. I mean, isn't that what the Garden of Gethsemane is all about? Not my will, not my strength, not my agenda, not my rights, not my privileges, but thy will be done, O Lord. We see in Jesus a, a wonderful manifestation of, of the meekness and self-control of God. I mean, can you just imagine that, you know, that one would come before Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, now, now think about this, say, Lord Jesus, I have sinned, have mercy on me. Can you, can you even imagine Jesus throwing himself down on the floor and kicking and screaming and crying and yelling uh, and throwing a temper tantrum? You know, I mean, well, you've really disappointed me this time. Uh, no, sir, you've asked me over and over and over again. You just keep coming around here and begging and pleading and whining about forgiveness. Well, forget it. Get out here and don't forget to close the door behind you. We, can you even imagine that? We can't. That's a horrifying thought, isn't it? It would be comical if it wasn't so terrifying, but imagine coming in before Jesus and saying, Lord, do you love me? And then him saying, well, I do love you when you, when you act nice, but you, you've been acting so ugly lately that I'm not, not sure I love you or not. You say, Lord, when, when I die, will I go to heaven? And he says, you know, I just, just haven't made up my mind on that yet. Lord, will you honor your promises? He says, well, I, I will unless I change my mind. Can you imagine being in heaven and you, you come into the throne room of God and you hear all the resounding laughter of the saints and it's echoing off the walls of heaven and, and there's joy unspeakable and full of glory and there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and Peter and Paul and James and John and they're all sharing some big joke and then you walk in the room and God says, shh, there he is. Wouldn't that be a horrible moment? Can you imagine that? You come in before God to praise Him to the throne room and you say, Lord, can I come before Your presence with singing? And He says, no, no, not you. You just sit out on the porch and keep your mouth shut. Can you imagine a thing such as that? No. You know why? Because we know that God has the power to obliterate us and He doesn't do it. So we know God's not going to act like that. God has the power to destroy us, and He gives us grace instead. God has the power, authority, and the perfect right to destroy the whole world and all that is in it, and yet God extends grace to us. We see then that meekness and self-control, is they're at the very heart of God. This is part of the very character of who God is, that God restrains His power. Do you want to understand meekness? Learn from the mother lion. Lion cubs play at the feet of their mother and they bite on her paws and with all their might and grab her tail and bite it with everything they've got and their, their little teeth just bite into the big velvety paws of the, of the great lioness and, and she could just, just move her paw for just slightly and snap their necks. She could bite their heads off if she really wanted to. And instead, she endures their nips and playfulness and bickering. And, and, uh, uh, and as they bite each other and tumble around her feet, restrain, and she's restraining her strength. Imagine seeing that, that lioness carry those cubs by the nape of their neck with the folds of skin carried in her mighty jaws, with jaws that, that, that could crush you, let alone a little baby lion. And she restrains her strength to give them comfort. And she carries them one by one by her strength instead of destroying them with her strength. That is perfect quintessential meekness. Not a meekness that is weak. Not a meekness that is weak and powerless. But a meekness that has the power to take control of the entire situation and yet refuses to strike back. 
So what is the counterfeit in the flesh? We've talked about these with every one of these. The world manufactures counterfeits for every real fruit of the Spirit. I'm going to give you a word. You may or may not know it, but you'll understand it. It will define it, and you'll learn a new word if you didn't know this one. But the counterfeit for meekness and self-control in the flesh is obsequiousness. That's a big, long $10 word right there, obsequiousness. Obsequiousness is a fawning, false humility designed to make yourself look good and to get what you want. It's playing the part to get what you want and to make you look good. It's it's nothing less than really just two-faced hypocrisy. Oh, they say, oh, I don't care what everybody else wants, whatever everybody else wants to do. Well, while deep inside, the person holds this deep, passionately held opinion and well, I don't care. I don't care. I'll do, I'll do, of course, just do whatever you want. I'll do whatever you want. But, it, but I, if you don't do what I want, you, I'm just going to sulk in the corner. Uh, how many of you, for those of you a little older, I'm going to give you a perfect illustration and a perfect example of somebody who is obsequious. All right. How many of you have been around long enough? Do you remember the old, old show, Leave it to Beaver? Some of you are old, folks. Some of you are too young. Rachel, you're too young to be raising your hand. She's like, yeah, I've seen it. <laughs> She's kind of proud of it. I can see it in her face. But, um, but, but if you've seen that show, how many of you remember Wally's fawning sidekick, Eddie Haskell? You remember Eddie Haskell? All right. Now you know what obsequious is. That's a perfect example. He put on a false meekness and self-control every time he was around Ward and June because he was trying to make himself look good and get whatever he wanted from them. That's the worldly counterfeit. The worldly counterfeit for meekness and self-control is pretending to be meek and gentle in order to manipulate people around you into doing exactly what you want them to do. That's not meekness. That's actually a, a kind of softly camouflaged emotional extortion. So how can we de- detect a lack of meekness and self-control in our lives? Well, I, I, the, I think obviously the most obvious sign of a lack of meekness and self-control is violence. We, we live in an age when men don't want to restrain their strength. They don't want to be meek and self-controlled. Uh, you know, I mean, even in, even in organized situations, the boxers, they don't want to just win the match. They want to punnel their opponent's brains out. Football teams don't want to just win the game. They don't want to just score a touchdown. They want to dance in the end zone to mock their opponents. You know, it's not enough to say we did our best. We want to say that I beat you like I rented mule. That's what we want. It stinks of pride. It stinks of the flesh. It stinks of every kind of exalted fleshly power in the world. And And the worst problem is that it's happening even in our home. Did you know, I mean, I think you already are aware of this, domestic violence is, is the most common crime in America. And for police officers, it's the most dangerous call they go on to domestic disturbance. Can I just say, men, just because you have the strength in your hand to do it doesn't make it right. And God will hold you accountable for it. Learn the power of self-control. And to you young girls here that, that listen to an old man, I know, I know that you think I don't know anything, but I, I've learned a few th- thing or two in my lifetime. But, but listen, there, there was a young girl some time ago. She was about to marry a boy. She was engaged to this guy. And, and she went to her pastor and said that she was very concerned about marrying this boy. And she said that they had recently gotten into a terrible argument and that her boyfriend as, as, and, and fiance, whose name was Teddy, slapped her so hard that it strained her neck. She had to wear a neck brace for a week. And she said that she was concerned about their marriage. When she asked her pastor if he had any thoughts about it. And he said, and this is exactly the right thing to say. He said, honey, flee the wrath to come. Get away from there. Get out of this situation. I mean, uh, what's the matter with our, our culture? We're, we're raising sons who can't restrain their violence and girls who have no brains to say, oh, if he's going to hit me while we're dating, how bad is it going to be when we're married? You know, I have a word for any girl in that situation. Get away from Teddy, Teddy as, fast as, you, as fast as you can because a boy who will slap you on a date is going to beat you senseless after the honeymoon. honeymoon. Because he's putting his best foot forward while he's dating you. And if that's his best foot, 
honey, you don't want to see the worst foot. That's the truth. I mean, we need to wake up. This is a critical issue in American culture. Violence, it's the most obvious sign of a lack of meekness and self-control, but there are other signs too. And some of these are probably going to be a hit a little closer to home to the rest of us uh, because, you know, I look out here and I don't see very many people that act in violence as far as I know. But, but here's another sign. Plotting and scheming behind the scenes. That's a sign of a lack of meekness and self-control. Manipulation, the anonymous letter, the writing campaign, they're all, uh, to, to try to bring somebody down, they're all signs of a lack of meekness and self-control. Gossiping about somebody to try to hurt them and destroy them, or gossiping as a means to get what you want, that's a sign of a lack of meekness and self-control. Here, here's another, this is a tough one. This is a tough one, especially when you talk about putting it in a family uh, context. But the desire in arguments to have the last word is a sign of lack of meekness and self-control. Suddenly, everybody's looking at me and saying, Pastor, you just went from preaching to meddling now. But I've seen this over and over and over again. Listen, I, I, I know of a couple they, they had been married for 40 years and they went to their pastor for marriage counseling and they, they, they were having some issues and they spent three hours together with their pastor and they, they got through that whole thing and they, at the end they kissed and made up and they had this wonderful time together. All three of them prayed together. It was this beautiful moment, powerful time of, of reconciliation. And as they started out of the room, all right, not, not three hours later at home, but as they started out of the room, the lady turned to her husband and said, see there, I told you so. And, so, and the pastor couldn't believe what he was hearing. For three hours, they had worked together. And for three hours, they had prayed together. They finally had a breakthrough. And she says, see there, I told you so. And in that one moment, all those three hours were gone because she didn't have the meekness and self-control to, to say, I don't have to have the last word. Listen to me. What difference does it make who has the last word? Men, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a word of wisdom. You can always have the last word if you want to with your spouse. Because you can say, yes, ma'am. <laughs> and, and you can have the last word <laughs> if you want to. But the problem is mo most of us are not that humble to humble ourselves in that moment to do that. But teenagers, I I've seen it over and over again with you. Is when I, was a, I spent many years as a youth pastor, and I saw many a teenager who was really just in a little bit of trouble. There wasn't that big of an issue. It was some silly little thing that wouldn't really get them into much trouble at all, if any trouble at all. And then what do they do? They talk themselves into the guillotine. You know what I'm talking about? Because he's just determined to have the last word. That's a clear giveaway that you're out of control, that you do not have the fruit of the spirit of self-control and meekness. Here's another one. This is a tough one. Another sign of lack of meekness and self-control is being quick to defend ourselves. This is hard for us. This is so hard for us. Because if we're innocent, we want to defend ourselves. But, but there are times, and this is, this is so hard to, to teach uh, uh, everybody, but maybe even it's harder with young people because of their sense of justice, but it's the hardest thing in the world to believe, but I tell you it's true. There are times when it is nobler to suffer the slings and arrows of unmerited criticism than it is to defend yourself. There are times when it is to your benefit to let somebody continue to attack you. And can I say this? There are times when it is to the benefit of the kingdom to allow somebody else to continue to attack you. Makes me think of a time when I was working at Burger King, uh, back in the days when I was rolling in high dollars. Uh, I'm just a just joke, but I, I was, I was after I'd come to know the Lord and and I took my Bible to work every day with me and I would take time to read my Bible during the break and I wanted to be a witness. I wanted to be a light in the darkness at Burger King and trust me, Burger King is a dark place. That's all I can tell you right now. Um, <laughs> it's a pit of darknesses. But, uh, but anyway, there's this one guy that just, just did not like the fact that I brought my Bible and he started riding me. Man, he just started 
he, he was trying to get a rise out of me and he was just, was just on my back constantly giving me a hard time, insulting me and insulting Christianity and all these things. And, and I remember everything in me just wanted to lash out and say, man, just shut your face. I just wanted to do this. And, and eventually there was this one other guy that was working there that was kind of a scary looking dude. He was sort of the kind of guy that I didn't want to ever meet in the dark alley at night, that sort of thing. And, and, and he out of nowhere just said, Hey dude, shut your bleeping mouth and he said, lay off of him. And I was like, Oh, thank you, Jesus. You know, <laughs> God answers prayer. Thank you, Lord. But, but all that to say this, there, there was a time, um, a little bit later, I was working in the front counter. It was late at night. We were almost closing time. We were very slow. We had pretty much gotten everything ready to go as far as stocked up. And there was a girl that was working. I was working the drive-thru. She was at the front counter. And we were just standing there talking. We had a lull. There wasn't any business. We caught up on everything. And she just stopped and she took a moment. She said, Dave, I have a question for you. So what is it? She said, when that guy attacks you like that, why don't you say anything? And I had that opportunity to tell her about what Jesus Christ had done in my life and tell her that Jesus said that I was to love my enemy. And I was to serve those who spitefully use them. And I was able to explain to her what Jesus had done in my life. Now listen, what would have happened if, if I had lashed out, if I had defended myself, if I'd said, you don't know what you're talking about, you, you, you stupid, uh, you know, heathen. I mean, that's, that's the best I can do. I've been Christian too long. I don't have any good insults anymore. <laughs> well, if I'd, if I'd done that, that conversation would have never happened. I'd have never had the opportunity to tell her about why I was living with meekness and self-control. So, so sometimes it's the hardest thing to do, but it's the most noble thing you can do. When, when, when they're, 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 you just say to them, you just don't understand the whole situation. Well, no, they probably don't. You say, let me explain it to you. Can I tell you something? They don't want to hear it. They don't care. There are times when you, you just need to step back and say, I'm not going to fight this battle. I'm just, I'm just going to walk in meekness. I have the strength to retaliate. But I choose not to. And because of the fruit of self-control, I'm going to control what I say and what I do. Because, listen, you're, when, we, when we retaliate, often we're the ones that end up suffering the most. So a dead giveaway of lack of self-control and meekness is being quick to defend yourself and longing constantly make yourself look good. So what are the results of meekness and self-control in our lives? Well, number one, meekness and self-control bring us into a quiet trust in God. Meekness and self-control brings us to a place where, and this is really related to what I was just talking about, it brings us to a place where we can let God plead our case and let God take care of it. If I'm, excuse me, if I'm wrongly oppressed, God will have the last word. If I'm falsely accused, God will have the last word. Maybe not even in my lifetime, but God will have the last word. You see a wonderful model of this in Joseph. I mean, he was led away to prison. He was falsely accused of rape in a situation where he did everything possible to avoid the seduction. He was led away into the Egyptian prison. And in meekness and in self-control, he said, God will have the last word on this. So cloak yourself in the truth and then wait patiently on God. Let God explain it to your boss. Let God tell your parents when they're wrong. Let God explain it to your spouse. Let God tell your wife. L listen to me, husbands. I have a word from God for you uh, uh, this morning on this. Are, are you ready? Are you ready to hear this? God is bigger than your wife. Praise God for that. You know, I've got another one for you. God is bigger than your mother-in-law. If you have issues with your mother-in-law, God's bigger than that. When things go around, wrong around the house, you know, just pray. Go, go tell on the woman, right? Go, go and tattle, man. Just tell. That's what Adam did, didn't he? He said, this is the woman that you gave me. She did it. <laughs> Isn't that what, she, what he did? That's what went on. And you, and, and you know what? You can uh, go before God and just pour your heart out. I can go say, oh, God, 
you know, Julie's not doing this and she's not doing that. I, you under, you don't, do you understand the situation, God? And then usually what happens is when I get all finished, God says, I'm glad you're here, Dave, because Julie just left. I got some things I need to talk with you about. <laughs> but we learn a quiet trust in God in our lives by allowing God to plead our case. Meekness and self-control bring healing and forgiveness. In the passage we read, they're going to get back to what we started with from Numbers Moses, writing about himself, because he wrote this book, writing about himself. It's a very, very fascinating passage to me. But he said in verse 3, Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. Now somebody would read that and they'd say, this is one of the best arguments against the, the, the mosaic authorship of the Pentateuch because Moses would never write about himself that he was the meekest person on the earth. I mean, if you're the meekest person on the earth, are you going to write that? Well, he might, he might in one of two possibilities. One possibility would be that he is a liar and an egotistical charlatan. How many of you believe that about Moses? I sure don't. I don't believe that at all. But the other possibility that might cause Moses to write that was that he was the meekest man on the face of the earth. And he was just being honest and truthful about it. Moses might have been the meekest man on the face of the earth. And if he was the meekest man on the face of the earth, he might have written that. Because what does meek mean? Meek is not a false uh, humility. It's about someone who has authority, who restrains himself. He says, Moses says, I I have the authority. I I talk with God face to face. God gave me the law written by the finger of God on tablets of stone. He says, I went up on the mountain with God. I am God's chosen prophet here. But he said, I claim nothing for myself. This is all what God has said. And then in this passage, Miriam and Aaron rebelled against Moses' leadership. They they said, "We we don't like this guy. Frankly, what they said, we don't like this guy. He married a black woman. We don't like him. He married an Ethiopian woman and we're opposed to interracial marriage. We don't like it. We don't like it. We don't think God ought to choose Moses as the prophet anymore. He's spoken through us, hasn't he? Why? We're as good as Moses. We don't like what he's, the choices he's making. We should get rid of him. I mean, isn't the funny, funny, the little things that people choose when they want to destroy somebody? They were angry because Moses married an Ethiopian, but the fact of the matter was, that was, it's like I heard Dr. Rutland say so many times, he said, whenever you have a conflict, a church issue, a church problem, a church argument, he said, the issue is never the issue. You know, so if the argument's about the color of the carpet, it's not really about the color of the carpet. It's about who gets to choose the color of the carpet. It's about who's going to be in control, who's going to be in power. And that's what this was all about, is they wanted to be the boss. They wanted to be in power. They they rebelled against Moses. And and what did Moses do? Moses did not defend himself. You see no record of that there. Basically, he kind of said, fine, I would love to be out of this job. Trust me, you can have it if you want. That's, That's God's choice. The problem was, is that what we read earlier, it says the Lord heard them and he was listening. And God said, you three, you you step up here. Come here. Come here. Got called in the principal's office. And God spoke and he said to them, he said, listen, I speak to prophets in dreams and visions and, and I give them parables. I speak in these ways. But he said, that's not the way I talk to Moses This one that you are coming against, I talk to Moses face to face. I speak to him uh, face to face and he and he hears what I say right there in his presence. He sees me that things that and hears things that you don't see and and you don't hear. But 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 he Moses, the whole point of this, Moses never claimed any of that. He never said he never looked at Miriam and Aaron and said, oh, you you want to be in charge? Don't you know I speak to God face to face? Who do you think you are coming against me? He never did that. He didn't demand it. He didn't exercise the might of his own position. He never said, I'm the head of Israel. None of that. Why? Because he was the meekest man on the face of the earth. And the Lord said, Miriam, Aaron, I choose Moses. And then God struck Miriam with leprosy. And what was Moses' reaction? He prayed for her. 
What, what a wonderful manifestation of the healing power of meekness and self-control. I got to be honest. I wonder if I wouldn't have been tempted to look at Marion, you know, covered there with leprosy. That was absolutely the, the manifest proof of her rebellion and her gossiping campaign and to try to get me out of power. I wonder if I would not have been at least tempted to look at Miriam and say, Nana, Nana, boo, boo. You know, I mean, uh, is, is it just me? Would you be tempted? Ask yourself, search your heart. Wouldn't, wouldn't there have been a temptation for you, you to look at her and say, I hope you choke on your leprosy. Anybody here besides me? Okay, I just want to make sure I'm not the only one that stands in need of prayer this morning. But instead, Moses, it says that Moses interceded for Miriam. He didn't, he didn't rejoice in her downfall. He didn't rejoice in her judgment. He prayed for her. He said, oh God, heal her. In some ways, Moses was quicker and more ready to show her healing for uh, forgiveness than God was. But God said, no, no, no. If you do that, she's not going to learn her lesson here. The, if you're going to forgive her too easily, put her out of the camp and let her wait for seven days. Moses was so meek and so humid, uh, submitted to God that he was willing to welcome her back that minute, that very minute. God, heal her now. Bring her back to full position. Restore her leadership, God. God said, no, she needs a time of being set aside. She's got to learn this. This is a good example for everybody else to see this. She needs time of being punished. She needs a time to make it clear uh, where I stand on these things. But, but that was all what God said wasn't, wasn't Moses' voice. Moses' voice was a voice of compassion and care and sensitivity and of healing grace. What a meek and self-controlled leader. He truly was the meekest man on the face of the earth. Here's the third thing. Meekness and self-control allow God to act because I'm out of the picture. Meekness and self-control release the supernatural power of God. When I insist on my power and my authority, it prevents God from asserting His. God says, okay, all right, if you want to handle it, go ahead. You handle it. But he tells me whenever I do that, he always says, you handle it if you want to, but I'm here to tell you right now, you're going to make a big mess out of it. Anybody relate with that? Anybody been there? Oh, many, many times in my life. Uh, but, but when I restrain my own strength and I restrain my own power and restrain my own authority and stop trying to defend myself, then I allow room for God to intervene so that the name of Jesus will be lifted up and glorified, not mine. Because when I defend myself, I'm trying to lift my name up. I'm trying to defend my honor. I'm trying to defend me. And God says, wait, 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 you forgot. This is not about you. This is about Jesus. And so when I restrain myself, when I walk in meekness and self-control, then I allow room for God to intervene in the situation in a way that will glorify the name of Jesus instead of glorifying me. So how do I increase? We're going to close here in just a moment. How do I increase in meekness and self-control? Well, it's very, very simple. Very simple. Are you ready? Now, by the way, simple does not necessarily mean easy. You know what, you know what I mean by that? Like, I, I haven't played for years, but I used to play quite a bit of golf. Golf is a simple game. The rules are, well, I mean, some of the rules are a little complex, but the idea is you hit the ball down and put it, get it in the hole. Simple, not easy. If you've ever tried, it's very difficult to, to master. So simple and easy are not the same thing. Understand that. But, but the way to increase in meekness and self-control is very simple. Number one, this is the number one way. You ready? Simple, not easy. Submit to Christ. It's as simple as that. Submit to to Jesus. I cannot grow in meekness and self-control while I try to maintain control of my own will. You see that? I cannot grow in meekness while trying to maintain my own strength. I have to submit to Jesus. Now related to that, which for some of us in some ways may be even harder than that, and that is the second way, submit to natural authority in the name of Christ. 
Now, it doesn't mean you have to agree with everything natural authority says or does, but it means you submit to their authority. Number three, this is a huge one. We've talked a lot about this. Refuse to use whatever power you have to hurt people or to execute vengeance. We, we, you know, if you're like me, you read the verse in Romans where Paul says, he's actually quoting another place where God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Let me remember that verse. And then I read that and I say, but Lord, I just want to be a tool in your hands. <laughs> and, and so we try to excuse it and that sort of thing. But, but here's what I got to remember. I got to remember this. If I try to take vengeance out myself, I am meddling in an area that God says belongs to him. That's a pretty scary place to be. But he says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. And that means... It's not my job to get back at anybody. It's not my job to repay evil for evil. In fact, what did Jesus say? Love your enemy. Do good for those that hate you. Serve those that, that are out to get you. Fourth, and we already talked about this. So we're not going to spend much, any more time. Be slow to defend yourself. Be slow to defend yourself. Allow God to do that. And then fifth, if meekness is the fruit of the Spirit, then the way to grow in meekness is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if, if self-control is at the very heart and character of Jesus, then I want, if I want to overcome these temper tantrums in my life, anybody else have temper tantrums from time to time? I do pretty good most of the time. It's just when I get in traffic in Memphis. That's... <laughs> That's when the temper tantrums start to come out. I'm, you, I think the Lord's helped me. I'm doing better. Uh, but if I want to overcome these things, if I want to overcome, if, if we want to overcome any kind of explosive, violent things or any kind of these issues, I need the Spirit of Jesus in my life because that is not going to come naturally to me. I mean, listen, even in small ways, teenager, something is wrong if you come home from school and your mother, just out of the kindness of her heart, just lightly asks, how was school? And you look at her and say, what's that to you? Something's wrong there. Businessmen, li listen to me. Something is wrong if, if your secretary leaves your office weeping. You know, I know businessmen who, who are brilliant in many ways, but they go through employees like water goes through a sieve and they, they, they leave behind them a wake of broken bodies because they're arrogant and they're angry and they're blind to, their, to the way they treat people and they just resort to yelling and you know, this is not right. Why can't you ever do what I want you to do? And listen, I know we need to strive for excellence, but we have to remember this. People are more important than perfection. Something's wrong when we have this explosive anger. And until we submit to Christ, submit to natural authority in the name of Christ and are filled with the Spirit of God, we will not overcome. We will not overcome. I believe there are people here today who need to be filled with the spirit of self-control. I believe there are people here today that need to be filled with the spirit of meekness. I believe there are people here today that need to be filled with the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit. I believe there are people here today that are struggling maybe to overcome explosive anger. Maybe it's not anger that leads to actual violence, but you have these outbursts that just come upon you and you say, and you even blame it on other people. You say, you made me so angry, but... Listen, I've said before, if you have a cup of water and you shake it and water gets all over the place and you ask people, why did that water spill? They'll say, well, because you shook it. And I say, that's absolutely incorrect. The water spilled when I shook the glass because the water was in there. When life shakes you, when people do things that, that aggravate you, when, when things don't go your way and life shakes you up, if what splashes out is anger then it's not because of the shaking, it's because there's something in you that needs to be dealt with. You need the Spirit of Jesus to come and, and develop the fruit of meekness and self-control in your life. And I believe there are those who would say, Lord Jesus, I want to be filled with your Spirit. They'd say, Lord Jesus, I don't want the lack of meekness and self-control to limit the creativity and productivity 
and the power that you want to display in my life. There are things that God wants to do in your life. I know that. He wants to break the bondage of habit. He, he, he wants you to, to, he wants to break the inability to find self-discipline and self-control. And he wants to break the inability to overcome strongholds that destroy our lives. But we must submit to him in meekness and let him grow the fruit of self-control in our lives. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, as we come into your presence, Lord, I'm, I'm always humbled to stand here, but on days like today, God, with big concepts like this, I think it's even more humbling because I, I, I prepare and I preach, but I think to myself, Lord, who am I to be talking about these things? Because I still need to grow. But Lord, I know it's the reality is you're speaking to all of us. And Lord, I know that there are some points of today's message that have hit all of us, maybe in different ways, different areas. But God, we, we want the abundant life you offer, that you offer to us. We want to walk in the fruit of meekness and self-control. And I pray, God, that you'd help us to stop resisting. Help us to submit to you, Lord God. Those areas of our hearts, those areas of our lives, God, where we have sort of kept hidden away or we've kept in a, behind a locked door, God, help us just to give those things over. And when we're wrongfully attacked, God, I pray that you'd help us to learn just to sit back and wait and let you deal with the situation. That we learn to serve, learn to love, learn to walk in meekness and in self-control. And that God, that we would just wait on you to do what you can do. And maybe it has nothing to do with that person that's causing the issue. Maybe it's somebody else that's watching our lives and they, they want to see if this Jesus thing is real. So maybe it's opening the door for that conversation. But whatever it is, God, we just want to surrender to you. And we want you to help us to walk in meekness and in self-control. Help us to grow in this. Lord, I know this is not something that we pray today and then tomorrow where we, we, we wake up with full-blown uh, meekness and self-control. But God, this is a process. This is, these are things you want to grow in us the way fruit grows. So God, we just ask you, Lord, to make us fertile soil and to grow meekness and self-control in us. And the God that every person in this room would know that you're changing them. And Lord, use that to glorify your name. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.